Welcome to the Coop Tank. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, coming to you from Sweet Recording in beautiful Mount Laurel, New Jersey. You know, people, if you have a video cast, a podcast, you need some uh, remote filming. Hell, even if you have a book on tape or need a studio built, Sweet Recording is the place for you. Joe and Matt know their stuff, they're honest, and they're just really great guys. So check out their website, Sweet, S-U-I-T-E, recording.com, or email them at hello at sweetrecording.com. Anyway, you know, we have, we have a great guest today, and it's funny, I usually write what my guests do down, but this gentleman does so much. I have his LinkedIn here, and I'm going to read you what my gentleman, my guest does. My guest is Michael Goldberg, and he's, uh, he's, he found, he's the founder of Knockout Networking, but he does so much more. So here's what he says. This is, this is the kind of guests I get. Keynote speaker, knockout speaker, trainer, eight-week networking training camp for financial advisors, brokers, and sale producers, founder of the networking group, two-time TED speaker, an author, and it's Michael Goldberg. How you doing, Michael? What's going on, brother? How's everything? Dude, man, I, I, I looked at that, and you know, it's funny. And I see the TED Talk, and I see, I, I, I've been in a predicament where I, I see people on LinkedIn always saying they're keynote spookers, keynote speakers. But a lot of them, they aren't. But you've done TED Talks, and you, you are one. So what is it that, what makes someone a keynote <laughs> speaker? You know, keynote, I think, is in the eye of the beholder. Technically speaking, a keynote is somebody that kicks off a conference or kicks off uh, a convention and is really kind of like the leadoff hitter, in a sense. You know, you're kind of keynoting or setting the tone of the entire conference. But I think over the years and over time, it's just become generic where anybody that's in front of a lot of people as like the featured speaker becomes this keynote guy. So I think a keynote speaker follows the five bullet points, you know, the the opening, your three speaking points, and then your big close. To me, it's how much content can I share with my audience that they can apply and do some great stuff with. And I think because I'm pretty high energy and dynamic and very interactive, and I kind of spar with the audience with kind of my boxing metaphor, knockout networking, it, it sometimes frames me as like that keynote speaker. <laughs> it's how it plays out. Well, no, because I, I said, you know, now tell me about the boxing because because that's knockout networking is great. But tell me how the whole boxing angle came and just the whole history of that. Yeah, well, you know, uh, it was a different brand many years ago. I was, uh, you know, it wasn't knockout networking, but I've been boxing the whole time. And my brand was really not relevant. Um, my, my, my company was Building Blocks Consulting, which really just meant, you know, fundamentals. And I was like this leadership guy. Uh, but, you know, but then I started teaching, training, coaching, networking and referral marketing skills, which is really what I do today. Uh, and I was in front of a pretty large audience in San Antonio, Texas. And I think it was for a company called MetLife at the time. And I was boxing. I was a competitive fighter. And I would always bring my stories, you know, to the stage, you know, because I always looked at boxing and networking metaphorically as like, you know, boxing like networking and networking like boxing is about the connection. And here we're going to talk about ways of making more and better connections. And it always worked. And as I got more and more into boxing stories, people would always shout out, you know, different boxers and different fights and who's your favorite, you know, heavyweight. And so it really became a great way to build rapport with the audience. But my brand wasn't in sync. And I remember in that one audience in San Antonio, a big cowboy guy, it was like something out of a movie, said, you know, you're a real knockout networker. <laughs> and I said, you know, thank you. <laughs> that was worth it. That changed my entire brand because in that one comment, he created the relevance that I think was missing. And then Knockout Networking was born. And I was still doing all the stuff, but it was really now on brand. And so now it's kind of like, book the Knockout Networker. And that's often how I get booked. <laughs> now, 
when did your love for boxing start? Because I want to find out how you ended up in networking. Because I, I, you know, and I, I know you, you're good at it. Because boxing is something that takes discipline. You know, there's some things. Mm. You know, people can be born as a good, great baseball player, and a great baseball player does not need to practice all the time. Boxers. I mean, I remember when I tried to box in high school with some friends, and we just like ran around in a circle trying to hit each other. And you, I was exhausted after like a minute. So when did your uh, love of boxing start when did you start boxing and how has that discipline helped you as you've grown as a business person you know now i mean i'm like an old guy that like boxes now and i, I box young guys i spar every weekend and uh you know labor of love but you know years ago it was just always i was a fan watching mike tyson fight every six weeks you remember that uh, you'd be on hbo uh you'd get the special pay-per-view you'd pay all kinds of money and like in 90 seconds a fight was over and but I was just always a fan of that and um, a historian. So I loved all the, you know, the old greats, Jack Dempsey and the long count and all that. I was just always reading and studying that stuff. I just found it fascinating because, you know, in those times, boxing was what really people did, you know, in the depression to kind of take them away from all the sad times as they get behind a fighter, uh, you know, and root for them. And a lot of these fighters represented the ghettos, whether it was, you know, um, Irish or Hispanic or whatever it was in those days. So it really is just became a thing then um culturally and i always appreciated the romanticism of that so became a fan uh, and always been a fitness guy and funny it's kind of a networking story i remember going to my gym um and i remember being hypnotized by not, not literally but hypnotized by a guy jumping rope in the gym and I, he was evidently a boxer and this is years ago it's probably like 15 years ago so I walked over to him and it took me time to kind of get up the nerve. Even I'm a networker and I'm an outgoing guy. It took me, like, I don't want to bother him, you know? So I walk up to this guy and I can tell him he was a little annoyed, you know? So it kind of took his, cause I, you know, I interrupted him. You don't do that, you know? And so I uh, took his music off and I just said, I, and I paid a compliment, you know, you really, you're, you're really good at this. Give me a pointer, give me a trick. So I said, come back to me when you can do 20. He just wanted to get rid of me. He put his music back on. So now it's like on, you know, so I went out and got a jump rope. And in two weeks, I got back to him and I said, I can do 20. And I'm glad he didn't call on, you know, it sort of like put me on the car. Like, all right, let's see. But that little connection can, uh, of course, he's a boxer. So he connected me to his trainer who I met and I ended up hiring to teach me how to jump rope. And I remember going to this trainer's house. It was you know, pulled up to his house. All these cars are parked there. I don't know why. And I go to his house. His wife brings me in. I go down to a basement. It's like fight club. It's like a ring. All these guys are down there. Like you would never know it was like that. And I kind of felt like they were all mocking me when I got down there. In six minutes, this guy had me jumping rope and I kind of got the joke. Like they were all just, you know, uh, razzing me because I hired a guy to teach me how to jump rope. But that little interlude turned into you're a fitness guy. You look like you could hit something to let's get in the ring and see what you got to. And six weeks later, I was in the ring and, and did pretty well. And that really took the, you know, if all of a sudden boxing was created for me. Like I could do this. It felt really good to spar, hit a guy. I love the camaraderie. And it was really a networking connection that made that whole thing happen. So that really was the uh, genesis of the brand all coming together is I really am a boxer. It really is connection. Networking made it happen. And my love for all of these different things came together. So it makes it quite easy to keynote at a conference and tell these stories and share some ideas because I've done them all. Now, what was your background before that? What were you doing? Like, what is your background as, you know, college, high school? What is your background? Yeah, so uh, college uh, undergraduate is restaurant operations with a minor in accounting. I actually thought I was going to be an accountant at some point. Uh, that, that never took. You know what the numbers bad with the paying attention. 
uh, and ended up just uh, going back to school and uh, getting some degrees in industrial psych and some other areas. But my, you know, my passion was always, you know, helping people connect with with one another. I didn't know that was called networking at the time. But being a, you know, a, a restaurant guy, very, very physical and kind of being out there. And I love developing people and helping them. And of course, it's amazing how all that came together. That took me into restaurant operations, which took me into education and started teaching. I'm still an adjunct professor at Rutgers University uh, to this day, but all the teaching is really, at the end of the day, I'm an educator. So to bring it all together in business, you know, it often, you know, it, it evolved into knockout networking where I get hired uh, by fin financial firms. I'm typically in you know, front of the Morgan Stanley's and the Merrill Lynch's of the world, pretty high level financial advisors and that's the world that i've really become known in and they know the boxer they know the connection and these guys and gals need to know how to make more and better connections you know otherwise they're not writing more business and more importantly otherwise they're not helping more people you know and that's really kind of the essence of it it's really about how to help people now when did you know it was time to make a jump when did you know it was time to go out and on your own because you said you're in the you sound like you were doing well you know you're teaching you're everything yeah. things were going well but you know, sometimes it's scary to make that jump. But was there a definitive moment that you said, holy shit, it's yeah. uh, it's time for me to move on. I'm, I can't do this anymore because, you know, you built a great brand. But what was that key point that you went, oh, man, I got to I got to do this? Well, you know, the whole education operations thing took me into being recruited by a speaking and training company, a consulting firm up in Boston. And I was with them for a couple of years. And I was like the, at the time, you know, sort of the young kid that would, they put out on the road, you know, go do this, you know, and I'd be doing all the travel. So the founders of the company didn't have to, it's kind of the way I felt. And as a result, I brought in a lot of business for this firm, you know, more than they even told me about. And it took me a couple of years, like, duh, you know, to see what was happening. And I was generating more business than an entire sales team. Like I really was. And it was really through networking and the love of the game and being able to deliver my speaking, training, coaching services, but it was under somebody else's banner. And once I looked at a PL and realized how much money I had a hand in generating for somebody else, it was time to leave. It was just time to, and, and, and not getting the love, you know, not getting the appreciation. You know, as an advisor, you bring in business and you get commission, you get, you know, right, you, you're getting all this, all this business as a result, I wasn't getting anything for what I was doing other than a great experience, you know, a great education. So I was able to be lucky enough to be able to copy and paste that into my own company. And I became now a leadership guy, which morphed into the whole networking referral. Since I do all this stuff pretty well, I should probably be able to teach it too. But that's really what it was. When you see that you're making a lot of money for somebody else and you're not getting the love, man, that's motivation. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Time so, to go. So now now how do you start? Like when you sit there, you said you you use the blueprint of what you worked for before, but how do you sit there and say, Okay, I'm on my own now? Because it's it's different. It's not like you're even though you weren't getting the love, you were still getting All the right. check. You know, that, that's yes. one thing. Like sometimes you go, Oh shit, yeah. then you go, oh, Well, but so tell me, how did you start building your business? Because were, did you have an NDA like did you have a, something that you couldn't an NDA or whatever it's called that you couldn't go after your past? I did have a non-disclosure agreement, but, you know, they can't prevent you from making a living. Um, and some of the clients actually came with me uh, and I didn't ask them to. They just, you know, I brought them in so nobody was going to make any waves. And luckily the company I left on good terms, you know, and this is a long time ago. Um, I left on good terms, but it was really all about, um, uh, and I realized this, it was really all about trying to create a target market. So when I was with this other firm, the reason I was able to bring in a lot of business is I created a niche and I didn't realize it. It just, I, you know, it just happened because I was too naive to realize what I was doing. I mean, honestly, um, but 
my expertise at that time was sexual harassment prevention, right? It was just an area because of the restaurants I had an expertise in and then I studied. So this firm would allow, I was the only one that had that background. So I kept getting hired, you know, through manufacturing companies and municipalities because I was like the sexual harassment prevention guy, not a label you want, by the way, but that was my, so that's why I was doing all this business. It wasn't fun business because I was dealing with really pretty horrible things to tell you the truth but I had a spin on it because it was a training rather than a legal take to it. So as a result, you know, I made a lot of situations go away because I was solving the problem and helping the company do the right thing. So we just kept getting booked and booked and booked. And because of my relationships, all those different things happened. So when I went off on my own, I realized I need the thing. It's not going to be sexual harassment prevention. At first it was, that's how I, cause that was really my background and what I had been doing. So I was still getting hired for that. And then I need a market. So my market became, became police and fire departments. So my dad, New York City police officer, I kind of grew up tough with that background. So th those folks really took to me because of that. So I had that rapport. So I had the market and I had the thing. And it took me a couple of years to realize, all right, I'm bringing in some dough, but it wasn't the right market, not fun. And it wasn't the right thing, not passionate about it, not fun. The thing became networking because I realized what what do I do probably easier than anything else other than deliver a left hook uh, that's meaningful and valuable and who would book me and hire me for this that would also be fun. So that became networking. I don't even have to think about it. It's just who I am. And then the market became financial advisors because, man, do they really need this and they have the resources to pay me. So once I figured out, here's the thing, here's the market and pulled my marketing together around it, my business just took off. I mean, it exploded. Why do you think financial advisors need it so much? Because I know, you know, they, they have to get clients. Okay. And yeah. So, and I know they they do what they do. As all of us do. Yeah. But why, why do you, what do you, why did you pick that? Initial? Do you, are they just bad networkers? I mean, you always think of Wolf of Wall Street, these guys doing blah, right, right. crazy. But what, I mean, what, why did you circ, why'd you look at them? Was there, was there an experience or people you knew that just no, weren't No, 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 not at all. Well, you know, um, I like money. <laughs> um, I think it's important for um, for us to be smart about how we handle money and financial advisors, good ones can help uh, can help us with that. Um, but you know, at the time when I was figuring all this stuff out, this was 2002. And I remember that because I had realized that the Federal Trade Commission at the time in October of 2003 was going to roll out the do not call the DNC. So I thought, it, and this was specific to financial advisors, a lot of whom made their living by hitting the phones when we did that sort of thing. You know, this is free LinkedIn and all this stuff, you know, that was their lifeblood. So I realized a year out that once the Federal Trade Commission rolls out the DNC, these folks that are horrible networkers are now going to have to be great networkers. And I built my entire campaign around that. And that just became the X marks the spot. So a couple of dynamics there. Number one, their world was going to change. Number two, there's lots of them, like the Prudentials and the Axes and the MetLife. It was endless. And they had the resources to pay. And to me, that was like the trifecta right there. And here's the fourth component. It put me in front of people that were very much like me. Type A, driven. I got to make the buck. I'm, you know, motivated, you know, pretty smart, all that stuff. And I thought, what a great marketplace to target you know, and referable, because as I do good work, you know, Prudential will lead to MetLife, MetLife will lead to Morgan Stanley. And that's exactly how it played out. 
but it gave me a path. It gave me a marketing plan to work through or a fight plan. So how do you how do you start growing as you're growing and growing? What are your goals? You know, in 2002, you, you said you went and then you're, you're growing and you're getting people. Mm, Were you right. making goals like five year goals as you went along? Or were you just saying, I'm going to take this ride. I'm going to make the money. I'm doing well and it will just work out. No, always goals. Always goals. What were some you know, of your goals? Stuff. Yeah, I mean, like a boxer, right? You got, you know, there's always an eight-week training camp, and here's your goal, and this is what you're doing every day, you know, up until that point. So my goals were never really five, ten-year goals. They were more like three-year, three-month, you know, three-minute goals is really, and I still kind of like a street plan, as I like to call it, you know? So three years, because that's not really that far away, you know? So three years, um, what's it going to look like? What's the business going to look like? What's my life going to look like? And then in order to make that happen, what do I need to do over the next three months to at least be on the right track? Because life changes so quickly, right? So is it still relevant in three months? And then it's really about three minutes and three weeks. So like every week, what do I need to do to kind of lead up to that? So that's always how I looked at it. So there was always a financial goal. There was a who do I want my clients to be goal. And then there is how am I going to deliver the thing goal because you know, when you're a speaker, and I do way more than speaking, a lot of it's group coaching, I've got online programs and all these different things, and a networking group, but it's all been scaled. And that had always been the plan is there's only so many lawns you can mow. There's only so many, you know, talks you can do. But if you can leverage it and scale it through video, through online this, through, you know, through, through groups, through other people that are able to kind of do your thing for you, and you can focus on a bigger picture, that whole three-year plan, you know, becomes pretty powerful. And that had always been it, is how can I do more, not by doing less, but by being smarter about it, you know, scalability. Now, run through some of the services you do and tell me mm -hmm. why you decided to do them. Because as you said, it's a bunch. You know, I, I, know, you, I yeah. know you have your group. But run through some of them. Just say, you know, and tell me why you decided to, to do them and you know you would do well because you already know you're an outgoing guy you know what's going on but tell me how you started choosing what you were going to do yeah well i mean i knew i had a thing you know it was a marketable thing but not everybody uh looks at our services the same way or embraces our services the same way so you have to make it available you know in different ways to you know speak to different needs so the easiest thing uh, and the fastest thing I get booked for is like, I need dynamic speaker guy. Oh, you're the knockout networker. You're the boxer guy. So powerful message that's rele relevant to a big audience of financial advisors. So that's the easy, you know, the million dollar round table. We need that, that, that knockout networker guy, you know, so that's, you know, book me as a speaker. So that's the easier thing to say. How about make my firm better? So I've got these 35 financial advisors, you know, over the next um, three months, you know, I would love them producing, you know, they're at X, I want them at Y. How can you help them? So now there's programs that I can put together where I'm working, and a lot of them are online now, where I'm working with the same group of advisors for, let's say, a four-week period, and they're working throughout the four weeks, and I've got criteria for them to qualify for that, so this way they stay engaged, and we can measure their progress. I do a lot of that stuff. Of course, there's books, you know, so everybody kind of gets a book if they're, if they're part of that. Um, I've got online stuff which, you know, so like on demand, like knockout networking on demand, where you can become part of that community. And I've got all of these very, very short videos. So individual advisors can subscribe to them or firms can license them. So a big firm can, how do I roll this out to 3,200 financial advisors around the country is that they can license into my whole platform and have access to that. 
and there's different levels. Some of those um, access points, they have some availability to me, so I can connect with them and support them in their goals. And then I also have a networking group. Tell me about so that. I've got a, a, yeah, I've got a national online networking. So I've also got an opportunity for people to, to pay a membership fee, so now they can practice doing the thing and also connect and build their business in a measurable way, given some of the content that they might have learned, which is part of the networking group culture. Now, you've written two books. Tell me about how they came about, because, you know, I know it's the ones, the latest one's strictly about the financial. But you know, what was what was your first book and what made you decide to write it? And because, you know, <laughs> writing a book, people don't. But once again, you're a boxer, so you understand a discipline. Because I always say I've yeah. written, I've optioned screenplays, I've done stuff like that. And, yeah. you know, you sit there when you go down, when you sit at your desk, you know, the, the writer sits there and goes, oh, it's messy. doesn't make a difference. Right, right, right. And, but then once you start writing, you really enjoy it. But it's hard to get into it, I'm, you know, being an artist type, but for you, was it easy to write because you have that focus of unboxing? Yeah, I this, is gonna, you know, this is gonna sound bad, but it, 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 it is kind of easy uh, for me. Um, so a lot of people have, you know, um, a difficult time disciplining themselves to write or just, you know, getting focused enough where they can do that. That just happens to be one of the, kind of like a jab. The jab is kind of what sets up everything else. My writing is a thing that is my jab. It just it just comes easily, uh, easy for me. You know, I'm basically just talking to a screen. But when you're writing a book, I think it's really just like when you're training at the gym, training for a fight is like every morning you're in the gym at 5 a.m. or whatever your thing is. You know, it's like every morning I'm at uh, I'm at my screen at a you know at a cafe with a coffee and two hours I'm going to write. So the placement is is part of it. But also for me, it's like um, if you already have an idea. Of, so here's the topic. It's knockout networking. And I think it should be 12 chapters because there's 12 rounds in a fight. So now I've got, you know, so now I've, the math, right? I've one twelfth. So now what 12 things are most important in terms of networking? So now I come up with the 12 things. Is there an order that's relevant? So now I put them in order. So now if I get booked to do an hour talk on chapter one, which is what is networking and how can I create my vision? If I had to create a talk on that, what would my speaking points be? Da, 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 da. Those are my sections in my chapter. Now, if I speak to each one of those sections, like in, fr in front of an audience of 2,000 people, what does that look like? Just type. And now I'm working into right? And so with that, it's just another talk. It's just a whole series of talks in my mind. I'm just talking to the screen. And by the way, I can write. Now, what made you decide to do the one on the financial? I mean, how much difference are the two books? I mean, there's two, you have two books, but they're both on Netflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the motivation for the first book is the fifth opportunity where I was speaking in front of a lot of people and they say, Gray, I'd like to buy your book for everybody and I didn't have it. You know, like, shit, I think it's time to write a book. <laughs> you know? So that was the motivation there, like opportunity cost. And then um, the second book, I wasn't planning on writing until a year later. And I was asked by Wiley, uh, you know, the publisher, uh, used to be Wiley and Son, now it's Wiley, uh, you know, to write the book because the first book did really and does really well. And I did that on my own, self-published. You know, I, you know, I had never written a book, so no publisher was really interested in backing me. So the first book just did really well because as I'm speaking now, okay, now I got the book, so I'm able to, you know, easily sell it as I do all these talks as I just bundle it in so everybody gets a book and all this stuff. So Wiley came to me. I wish they would have come to me in the middle of the pandemic rather than right before it, because once the pandemic hit, I started getting booked on um, on on virtual networking, knockout virtual networking. That was like a no brainer. 
you know, and but I don't mention that in the book because when I wrote the book, nobody knew what a pandemic was. The book came out, pandemic came out. So it didn't affect book sales really, um, you know, in a negative way because still networking was networking, but I would have had much more of an emphasis around virtual networking, but to really make it uh, much more relevant for my target market, it became, and the publisher was against it, uh, but it really became about, you know, for financial advisors, dot, 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 and other sales producers, because this stuff doesn't just work for financial advisors. Now, the pandemic. I think, you know, when the pandemic came, I think it helped networking a lot. I think the Zoom rooms helped. I think because a lot of times people would just go into a room and have a nice suit and a good haircut and they'd have their cronies and they'd talk for a minute and they'd have no substance. Right. Then yeah. you're in a Zoom where you're sitting there in a breakout room and you got to talk for 15 minutes. And if you're full of shit, people are going to see it. How, sure. do, how do you think the do you think the pandemic actually in the long run made people stronger as a networker? Or do you, or do you think that in-person connection, you know, what happened? What do you what's your take on it? Do you think people are I, I think it changed the paradigm of networking so originally and not that this isn't still the case, but originally I got to go to an event. Like if I'm going to be a really good networker, I have to go to an event. I have to go to a chamber of commerce. I have to be, become part of a group. I've got to be in a, a venue um, or a scenario where I'm shaking hands and kissing babies, shaking babies, kissing hands and, and, and doing all that, you know, and, and now all of a sudden pandemic hits and I can't go to these places because the world shuts down. So where, so now you were forced to do this kind of zoom thing. And, and I think what this did is number one, it made zoom and platforms like this, um it, it made it important rather than a way of pushing somebody off like before the pandemic if somebody wanted to meet with you over a coffee or over a beer and let's just do it on zoom it almost got looked at like you were blowing somebody off or i don't have time to kind of travel to you let's just do a zoom it, it had that connotation now it has the connotation of you know of course you're going to meet this way in fact most meetings are still this way but the other side of it is that it made networking much more intentional like when the pandemic hit, you now you know now have to do a better job of reaching out to people either through LinkedIn or through your phone or whatever it was, and then get a meeting on Zoom. Where and it, way more intentional to make that happen because when the pandemic hit, there was this stutter step of like, what are we doing? What does this look like? What's my business? You know, the sky is falling, and you know, so like the networking group exploded. My networking group went national with all of this stuff because all of a sudden Zoom became this gateway to be able to make those things happen. And it changed the way I think we look at networking. So here, here's the metaphor that I love to use because now, of course, we're going back to events, although it's not the way it was, um, but we're still going back to events is, you know, you, you can think about it. I know you're in, in South Jersey. Uh, and there's certainly uh, restaurants that are in, in South Jersey, certainly all over Manhattan that, you know, they shut down. Right. And the ones that were good enough or lucky enough to remain in business, we're thankful about. But the ones that started to come back, they had to build a canopy. They remember that, right? They built a canopy where they got a tent and now all of a sudden the parking lot became, you know, station one and station two. And you can seat the parking lot or the sidewalk. Right? So that ha or now takeout is available and it wasn't available through this restaurant so now a lot right so these restaurants that were good enough or lucky enough to open up again you notice that many of them still have the canopy and they still have the tent because they realized that they could double and triple their seating that parking lot was always there that sidewalk was always there you could always rent or buy a tent but but because the need 
it all of a sudden it made that relevant and these restaurants got creative in double and tripling their seating i think great networkers realize that life is forever a hybrid and if you're smart you leverage zoom or platforms like that and you leverage the real life stuff as appropriate you're clever you can double and triple your seating or your business now i want to ask you about linkedin because you know as you said when you started this there was no linkedin you know and i know when i when i did stand up comedy back in the day i had to send a a tape and a press kit it wasn't like right. oh i can just send a link to my show or go to youtube so you mm -hmm. really had to you first of all you had to be you really had to be dedicated to your craft whatever it was mm -hmm. you had to sit there and go right. i'm putting money out because i believe in myself right now right. linkedin comes along and i love linkedin and i you know but i think some people are using it Badly, I think sometimes a little too many videos and stuff like that that aren't professional looking. And and I think you also, more people can reach out to you and then you sit there and you go, you get a message from them. You, they look legit and then they ask you this. Right, right. But what's your take on LinkedIn? As someone who started out this business you're doing before LinkedIn yeah, and now you see LinkedIn, what do you like LinkedIn? Do you like the, or I mean, or do you think it's detrimental to networking? I mean, what's your thought on it? I think it's detrimental to business if you're looking to if you're in sales and you got to sell something. I think it's detrimental to most businesses. Um, you know, what I don't like, and some people are going to get annoyed about this because they build businesses around it, is you know, you know, I, I must get um, twenty twenty five you know LinkedIn messages through a bot a day because since I'm a speaker, trainer, coach, that that da, I must need digital marketing. So like every digital marketing service under the sun, I'm part of, a, you know, not just me, but lots of speakers are, you know, you, you get these bots about, you know, uh, hire us so we can, um, you know, we can do your LinkedIn campaign for you and we can continue sending all of these, you know, um, you know lack of personality bots out and, and you know, and, and do that, right? So that's the part I don't like is I, I don't like the fact that it's become so impersonal uh, but I think that's just part of the deal now because there's so many digital marketers out there. But what I think the value of LinkedIn is, is that um, it's relevant. It's important. It's the largest database on the planet. Like it really is. It updates itself. So you don't have to worry about that. Uh, and it's got a great advanced search feature. So you can research companies. I can research financial firms. And if, if I want to reach out to three people a day that are in my target market, and put a collaborative note out there, which people aren't used to, because they're used to getting cold spams through all the bots that are out there, and say, "Hey, Joe, you know, um, you know, I see you've been a national sales manager for I don't know um, for UBS, you know, for a long time. We know a lot of the same people, you know. Perhaps because we're in the same industry, I would love to connect. Perhaps there's ways of being resources to one another. Are you game?" See, now it's personalized and it's collaborative, which is what networking should be. And I get responses back from that. And it's not like I'm selling them anything. I'm just collaborating with people and seeing how I can help be helpful and how they could be helpful. Some of those people have gotten me hired. And some of those people I have referred and have gotten. And so it works both ways. But you see how I'm leveraging LinkedIn from a networking standpoint, not from a cold calling standpoint. And it's two different things. Not good, bad, right, wrong. It's just the way it is. Now, what in your eyes, what makes a good networker? A good networker is, to, in my in my mind, good networker is someone that's got a plan. So it's not reactive, it's proactive in most cases. Uh, they've got a dialogue. The intention of the mindset has got to be about the other person. Like you really have to have this learning, helping mentality. 
You remember the uh, the show New uh, New Amsterdam, which has become one of my favorite shows. Remember, uh, it was on NBC. Now it's on Netflix. I, I, like it was been around for four years. I never heard of it until it was on Netflix, and then you know, boom, it's it's there. But the you know the main uh, you know main character you know is his whole thing, which became the mission of he's a hospital administrator. Um, you know Max um, you know, Max Goodwin, and his whole credo is you know how can I help, and that became the mission of the whole hospital in terms of how can I help. I think that's the same thing with networking. I think the jab to networking is if you're not coming from a place of how can I help, um, it's going to impede networking. And it's, you know, um, you know, I, I, to me, the best networkers are people that are coming from a place of learning, helping. It goes both ways and it's relevant to a target market. Like there's a specificity aspect to it. You know, it's like following a fight plan. You, know, you follow a definitive fight plan with the goal of beating that opponent. I think with networking, you're following a definitive fight plan to be able to generate a certain type of business and still be in a position to help other people do the same. Now, what do you personally, and this is personally not what you speak on, what do you personally love about networking? That's a very personal question. Uh, yeah, so uh, what I personally love about networking, uh, I know this sounds very cliche. Um, I, I just love helping people. I love helping people that are of the mindset of wanting to help other people. So it's, you know, so help others, you know, help others. Um, but it's, it's helping people that want to learn, that want to get better and are open to returning the favor. Not so much to me. So it's not like a tit for tat. Uh, you know, but that that's their mentality and paying it forward. But I love connecting two people that need to meet one another. And it's not always about business. It, it could be socially. It could be, you know, I think you two should really, it seems like it's relevant for you to, you know, to, to connect with one another. You have a couple of things in common, but because of who you are and because I know you, you'll figure it out and something valuable is going to come out of this. You know, so when that happens and something valuable does come out of it, business, a job, a friendship, something, you know, that makes me feel pretty good. You know, I feel like I've done my job. So, um, you know, matchmaker, matchmaker, that's to me what, what makes me tech. What do you not like about networking? Because we all, you know, it's like anything we love. I'm on I love networking, but there's a lot of stuff I don't like. You know, I don't like clicks. Yeah. We're going to talk about that. But what, what do you what do you not like about networking? And if you could change it, you would. Um, You know, I think this is a great question. I, I think. The part that I don't like is when you're in an environment where you have where you're with people that aren't very good at it. And it's not, there's one thing in not being good at something, but you want to get better. There's another um, it's another thing when you're someplace where people are just not good and they don't care. They're just looking to sell their thing. You know, so I mean, this is a kind of, you know, gonna probably not come across well, but like chambers of commerce come to mind. You know, some are better than others. But often chambers lend itself to the small business owner that pays their fee and they're just looking to sell the thing. So if you have 100 people in a room and they're just looking to sell their thing, um, you know, it just becomes, you know, um, you know, like a firing range. You know, it's that it, it's not collaborative learning fun. So uh, so that's what I don't like. You know, th there's places you can go where it's just fun. You just have a lot of people there. There's some networking, but, you know, younger people, they just want to get out. And you see a lot of that now, especially right after the pandemic, you know, year, year and a half ago, when this started coming back as people were just getting out just for the sake of, you know, getting out. But I guess, you know, being a championship fighter, you know, you don't want to be in a room with, with, with folks that are just kind of figuring out, you know, and unless they want to get better, that's a, that's a whole other thing. Now clicks. Cause I always crack up. I went to an event one time and I heard someone say, uh, yeah, we're, uh, 
where to someone else. We're sitting at the cool table, and I said, "Yeah, you know, you better go back to you better go back to high school, maybe become prom king or queen." I yeah. my my take on clicks, and you may disagree. I don't. I want. I want because you're an expert at this. I've never understood clicks because a lot of times when you're in a click, you alienate other people, and your yeah. clicks your clicks can only give you so much business, and then people sure. go, "Oh, that guy's in that click," or like, and you don't like him. What is your take on click? And do you think people should avoid them? I mean, avoid becoming a part of them or yeah, avoid, avoid being, becoming part of a click. I mean, being a group well, you know, is one thing. Yeah. You know, I think um, clicks are going to happen because, you know, people like minds are going to connect with one another. Common ground is going to happen. I think, you know, I think clicks are good, but I I think they're good if if you are all about helping other people become part of either yours or somebody else's click, you know, not to make somebody feel excluded i think that right that's very you know bad networking is to make you know you want to create this inclusive environment so i think clicks are great provided there's a mindset and a wherewithal to um invite people in you know or help them find theirs then then i think that's good now i want to get to boxing real quick have you ever knocked okay. someone out and have you ever been knocked out because I, I i tell me no. what no, 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 no! I've never knocked. Uh, I've never knocked anybody out, and I've never been knocked out, to my knowledge. <laughs> but um, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm just an amateur, right? I'm a registered amateur, so I've got a, a passbook that says that I can, through the USA Boxing Association, that I can compete anywhere in the country. Um, but you know what I needed to do to qualify for that? I just needed to fill out an application. It's the same thing as getting a fishing license. You just fill out the app, like that's it. You know, it's not like get a. Yeah, you got to be, you know, it's not like becoming like a, you know, a baseball player where you got to be at a certain level and drafted and all this stuff, you know. So, uh, you know, so I'm uh, I'm an amateur. And in the amateurs, you don't see a lot of knockouts. You see guys get knocked down from, or gals, you know, get knocked down from time to time. Like I've knocked people down uh, and that's happened. And it's mostly a body shot that, that's done that, you know. Um, I actually broke a guy's ribs once and we were just sparring. It was just a total accident. I even hit him hard. I just hit him correctly. Just caught him, you know, underneath the wing. And that was just it. And he never got in with me again. And um, but that's never happened to me. I've never been down. And, um, you know, you're wearing uh, uh, you're wearing headgear. You've got a mouthpiece and all that stuff, you know. So, I mean, it happens, but not often. And I'm sure if I keep at this game. Um, you know, I'm no spring chicken anymore. I spar with the kids, which is great. But when I compete, it's got to be with an old, an old fucker like me. It's got to be. And, and I get a lot of um, forfeits or people that won't get in the ring because I know I am older than I look. And when guys that are in and around my age, in and around my size, in and around my experience level, which is the criteria, when they see me sometimes, not that I'm the toughest looking guy in the world, but I'm, I'm fit and I, I train like I am. Like I train like I'm a 30 year old. And I get into a lot of fights that never happen. Now, boxing is fatigue. You go through fatigue. Do you ever go through network fatigue? Do you ever go through networking fatigue where you just get tired of it? Because I know it's what you do. And yeah. a lot of times I love doing it, but sometimes, you know, I'll sit there and I'll go, oh, Christ, I don't want to go to that event. You know, I, I don't feel like seeing anyone. Do you ever go through that? And if so, and if you do, or if someone that does, tell them what they should do to get get invigorated again. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't a lot because most of the events I'm now leading or they're my events where somebody else is leading that's under my umbrella. So I've got all these communities. They're mostly online, although some of them were doing live stuff, too. And I've got other leaders that have been trained to to lead this. So because I'm kind of like the guy, that's really fun. You know, it's uh, so it's, it's not like I really need to work the room. You know, people kind of coming to me. I've created that gravity. Um, but um you know, I think it can be draining if you're going to a lot of other events and a lot of them are live. Uh, you know, I, I can see how that could you know be a drain. But, you know, I, I make it really easy. Uh, I've got a very 
even though I'm really um, very pragmatic and I've got a plan and all this stuff, really low point of entry when I'm going to somebody else's event. Like I just look to, I want to have fun and I want to learn something and I, and I want to help somebody. Like that's it. That's my that's my one, two, three punch. And I figure I can do that in any room because nobody can prevent me from learning something. Nobody can prevent me from having fun and nobody can really prevent me from helping somebody. And if I walk in with that measure, I, I find that that just makes it easy, makes it fun and it brings people to me. Like, just think about that, right? I mean, that's a very low, it's, there's no pressure and I got to give somebody a business card or I've got I've to meet a certain amount of people. Like, you know, I, I'm going to make it fun, which means it's going to force me in a sense to have fun conversation. Who doesn't want to have that? And it's going to force me to meet people where fun, learning, help. And who doesn't want that in any event? It, it, you know, the, the rub is that I put it on myself that I have to create that. And since I do this for a living, kind of easy and great when any great networker, kind of easy. If you look at it that way, like, like I can see that you've got a great energy, right? You've got a great process, you know, you're outgoing and the whole thing. So imagine just trying to bring that to somebody else's world, just one or two people at an event, everything else just falls into place. Got one final, one final question. Um, well, it's sort of, I'm going to ask you to do something. What would you, what would, what's one tip you could give to the listeners and then hopefully from that the listeners will go this is a great tip and then they'll come to see your whole the whole yeah. michael goldberg experience but if you had to sit there and someone said okay michael yeah like in hollywood you get one pinch line like oh yeah it's a movie it's like lethal weapon meets you know goodfellows <laughs> for you what would be your that'd be some movie huh oh, it'd be a great movie i actually i yeah. wrote i wrote a screenplay years ago it got me a manager drink an option. It was a it was a spoof. It was about the Amish mafia, and it was called Goot Fellows, and it was just the thing that it got it got me a manager. I shot it like Woody Allen's Take the Money and Run. I wrote it. Oh, like that's that. so cool! But what what would be your log line that people would say? You know what? I want to go. I want to go to Knockout Networking now. What would your log line be? Log line. I think one of the most difficult even experienced networkers have, and it you know goes through my mind sometimes too, is how do you start a conversation with people in a room where you know nobody? And one of my favorite ways of doing that, which again, it's about fun, learning, helping, is just share a quick story with people. Like we always have stories. It doesn't have to be you know a 10 minute story. I mean like a minute or two. And often my stories are about something that is going on in my life right now. And that's often how I start, you know, so if I am going to meet somebody for the first, I'm at an event, you know, I mean, hey, Joe, you know, nice to meet you. My name is Michael. Good to see you. You know, um, have you been to this event before? I know I'm first timer. I said, well, that's great. Really great to meet you. Can I just share something quick with you? It's just something that I'm just going through right now. It's on, you know, it's just on my mind. And I might mention that my father-in-law has Alzheimer's. Like we're de like we're dealing with this right now. And I'll say, you know, have you ever met anybody uh, or you connected with anybody that has Alzheimer's? And very often the answer is, you know, yes. And um, then they'll say, you know, what's, you know, what, what are you going through? What's going on? And I'll just tell them. And I don't mean 10 minutes. I mean, like a minute or two, you know, just last night, you know, Passover, the Seder and my father-in-law, he, he's singing to everybody. He's saying inappropriate things. And we're really having a very difficult time managing that. And right now we're researching next steps. And then this just becomes a conversation, which becomes a back and forth. So it's not me venting on somebody, but I'm relating real life to somebody that can probably relate to what i'm saying and, and on some level we get into a very human conversation and after the humanity you know it's not just about me they'll share their experiences 
you're in the throes of a conversation you're in the throes of a connection and it's it's um there's a relevance to it there's a there's a humanness to that and it just makes it easier now to say you know I appreciate your insight on that and you know I'm you know I'm sorry to unload all that which is really not unloading it's you're just being human you've also made it easier for them to connect and they feel comfortable and then I can kind of get into conversations about them you know so tell me about your business what brings you here who do you know what are some of the things that you're after are you following March Madness who you're rooting for you know Kentucky da, 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 you know and now it's easy to kind of get into all those conversations and then that just makes them very curious about me as well so as I'm asking them questions about their business it'll turn into a how about yourself and then it just becomes very very collaborative and again fun learning helping that trifecta is happening well, let's see. My mother has Alzheimer's, so we're we have oh, the same I'm thing. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. No, no, but yeah, yeah, it is. But that's one of those things that, at our age, people. I mean, it's like it's like anything. You know, there's two things. Yeah. There's certain things that you go through. It's like I always joke around. Like when me and my buddies, we used to go out, you know, and talk about who's girl's number we're getting now it's like what what you know medication we're on you know it used right. to be i say if you're over 50 and you've never been divorced you never got a dui yeah. or you're not on some kind of blood pressure medication you right. live this sort of a, a, a mellow life but, sure uh, but you know it doesn't have to be um you know a conversation that is a sign of the time or a sign of our age it could be anything it could be i just started dating somebody that um that might be the love of my life right I, you, you can say you, know, you can say that you know it's um you know, have you ever you know experienced that where you just somebody new is just coming to your life and all of a sudden you've got a whole new perspective and that that can become a conversation or i i remember going to a networking event and my um my uh, my 20 year old who i guess was 19 at the time you know went away to school university of tampa and you know i was kind of having a tough time with it even though it was very positive so i just said you know i'm just uh, i just dropped my kid off to the airport and she's uh you know in tampa and you know, it made me feel a little, you know, funny, a little sad, but also happy. It's good. And I remember having that conversation. Oh, I went through that too when my kid went to school. And all of a sudden you're in the throes of a connection. So it can be very, very positive. It doesn't have, it's just what's going on in my life. And it's not about venting on somebody. You want to make it back about them and create collaboration about it. And that's the key. And a lot of folks don't know how to do that. Well, you talk very positive things, but actually I have one more question. Tell me a negative I want to hear a negative networking experience because we all have them and you have to have a story because I also think if you go networking and you told someone a negative, you know, like, sure. oh, this happened, give me a negative networking experience and you survive people. He survives no matter how crappy it was. He makes, he makes bank being a networking guy. So you're going to go through bad times, but from an expert, tell me a really crappy networking experience you had. Um, number of years ago i think it was right before the pandemic i was the keynote speaker at a financial services event in detroit and i always get to uh where i need to the day before even if it's close like it was a quick flight but i always get there the day before usually in the morning so i have the rest of the day to do whatever i need to do and if i could line it up with another event to go to i do it and that's kind of how it played out in detroit so it was the day before that i was speaking and I was at a networking event that I was invited to by the client. And it was just one of these events, you pay 10 bucks and uh, and you've got a lot of people there and you know you, you pay 10 bucks for an event. You may not have the best networkers there, frankly. It's really, because the event is designed to just get a lot of people in a room. So to me, I did that because it was fun. I was invited and I knew that I'd get content for my opening talk, like I knew it. And I always do and sure enough, um, you know, Bill came up to me and I'm gonna call him Bill because you know, that's his name. Uh, so Bill comes, Bill, Bill from Detroit. So Bill comes over to me and introduces himself 
And he's a mortgage banker. And how do I know this? Because he tells me in his first breath, you know, I'm a mortgage banker here, you know, well, what's your mortgage rate? And I said, well, why do you want to know? And he starts getting into this whole dossier about mortgage rates and da 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 and refinance and this and that. So he was looking to refinance my house. Guess what? My house is not in Detroit, but he didn't care. And so I just kind of played with him a little bit and not being obnoxious, but you know, how long have you been more? And he just kept coming back to what's your mortgage rate? I know I can help you, you know? And, and finally I, I, I said, listen, I, I gotta be honest. I don't live here. I'm not, I didn't come to this event to, um, you know, to refinance my house. In fact, I don't think anybody here did except for you. So one of two things can happen. We can have a conversation and we can figure out if there's a way that we can help one another, or we can just end our conversation right now. And you could risk having another awkward moment like this up to you. <laughs> and he apologized and it just, you know, it, be, it was fine, you know, but it was weird for him. And some other things happened, but that became my opening story the next day. And so, it, you know, there's there's no sometimes the jokes write themselves, you know, and um, and I think those are some of the things is somebody that either doesn't know what they're doing and they're there to sell or they know exactly what they're doing and they're just simply there to sell. It's not about the connection. It's not about the relationship and it's not about learning how to be fun. Well, that's awesome, Michael. I want to thank you. Now, how can people get give give all your info? He's got so much stuff going on. Give all your info. Uh, knockoutnetworking.com, I think, is the easiest way. And, um, you know, founded a networking group called, wait for it, the networking group or TNG, which is the networkinggroup.org. So you can go to uh, those websites and you'll find me and they're kind of interrelated. And of course, LinkedIn is always a great place. Just put knockout networking there and you'll find me or just do a search on knockout networking and you'll stumble upon, uh, you know, TED Talks and other things that's, that's going on. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm out there a lot. I do a lot of writing. So a lot of my, my blog is three minute rounds. That's out there. So you'll find me. I'm in publications in the financial services industry. I've got columns and things like that. So uh, like I said, writing is kind of my thing. So I'm always, something comes to mind. I'm always willing to write about it and get it out there. So people, please check out Michael Goldberg. Uh, go to my website. You can hear past episodes of The Coop Tank at thecooptank.podbean.com. You can hear my entertainment website where I have over 950 episodes at coopertalk.net. If you go to rvntelevision.com or Roku every Friday and Saturday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Cooper Talk Local, I interview some of the top comedians and musicians in the tri-state area. Also, me and Joe Gangemi, my producer, I want to thank Joe. He does a great job. Sweetrecording.com. Check them out. Me and Joe will sit there and come to your event, and we'll do red carpet interviews for you, and that's what we'll do. So, people, hit me up at thecooptank at yahoo.com. I'm Steve Cooper. You guys have a great night. 